Well, welcome back, everyone, to our Sunday School series as we're making our way through the book of Zechariah. I hope you all are doing well. I'm excited to to get back together in person eventually, but unfortunately, that day is not today. And uh, we're going to continue doing this through a recording. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Zechariah chapter 7. We're going to be looking at the whole chapter today, which is just 14 verses. Uh, That's, again, Zechariah chapter 7. And I will read the text for us and then pray, and then we'll begin to look at it together briefly this morning. Zechariah chapter 7, beginning at verse 1 and going all the way to the end of the chapter. And it was in the fourth year of Darius the king, the word of Yahweh came to Zechariah in the fourth day of the ninth month, which is called Kislev. And Bethel had sent Sher Etzer and Regem Melech and his men to entreat before the face of Yahweh, speaking to the priests who were in the house of Yahweh of hosts and to the prophets, saying, Shall I continue to weep in the fifth month and fast just as I have done all of these years? And the word of Yahweh of hosts came to me, saying, Speak to all the people of the land and to the, to the priests, saying, When you fasted and when you mourned in the fifth month and in the seventh month, all these 70 years, were you indeed fasting for me, even for me? And when you were eating and when you were drinking, were you not eating and were you not drinking for yourselves? Are these not the words which Yahweh has spoke by the hand of the first prophets, when they were living in Jerusalem and at ease, and its cities surrounding it, and the southern land, and the low lands, and their inhabitants. And the word of Yahweh came to Zechariah, saying, Thus says Yahweh of hosts, saying, Judge with true judgments, and covenant faithfulness, and compassion each man shall do to his neighbor. And the widow, and the orphan, and the sojourner, and the afflicted, you shall not oppress. And the wickedness of a man against his brother, you shall not scheme in your hearts. But they refused to listen, and they gave a stubborn shoulder, and their ears they made hard from hearing, and their hearts they set as hard as a diamond from hearing the law and the words which Yahweh of hosts sent by his spirit, by the hand of the first prophets, And there was great anger from Yahweh of hosts. And it was that when he called out, they did not listen. Thus, when they were calling out, I did not listen, says Yahweh of hosts. And I blew them out with a whirlwind over all of the nations which they did not know. And the land became desolate after them from their going out and their dwelling. In the land of plenty, they made a desolate wasteland. Let's pray as we ask the Lord to bless our time together as we work our way through this text today. Our Father and our God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Zechariah particularly. And we pray that you would open your word to us. Open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things from your instruction here in Zechariah 7. We pray all these things in the holy and precious name of Jesus Amen. Well, if you remember from last week, we were dealing with Zechariah chapter 6, and we had finished 
all of the night visions as well as the final uh, sort of wrap-up of the first section of the book of Zechariah, which is um, sort of the apocalyptic part of the book. And now we're moving into uh, more of a traditional prophetic style uh, in these next chapters of Zechariah, which is the word of the Lord came to me. The word of the Lord came to me. The word of the Lord came to Zechariah. The sort of things that we see among the other minor prophets as well as the major prophets. Now, our text today in Zechariah 7 is going to break down into three very nice pieces. First of all, we have false religion appears. Secondly, we have false religion exposed. And then thirdly, we have false religion rebuked. And of course, as you can tell from those three points, we're going to be dealing with false religion today. And the main point here is that God hates false religion. God hates false religion. Religion, And so we're going to be looking at what false religion is and how it shows up in this text. And this is going to be important for understanding the message of Zechariah because as we've been talking about over and over again, Zechariah is ministering in a context of the post-exilic Israelites. They have come back from the Babylonian exile and they are attempting to rebuild Israel, to rebuild the land of Canaan, to rebuild the temple particularly as well as Jerusalem and to reestablish the worship of God here. And what we're going to see today is that there is false religion brewing among the Israelites that needs to be stamped out and declared to be what it is. And that is something that God hates. And so let's look at the text here. Firstly, we have false religion appears, which is just the first three verses here of chapter 7. What we're told is that there are some people that come from, uh, from Bethel. Uh, Bethel was a town uh, not too far from Jerusalem. And the, the people here are Sar Etzar and Regim Melech. And I don't think they show up anywhere else in Scripture. But they show up with their men and they want to entreat before God. They want to approach Yahweh and they want to ask a question to the priests. And their question is this. They say, should we continue to mourn or weep? And should we continue to fast as we've been doing all of these years in the fifth month? All right. Now, if you are, are not familiar with Zechariah's context and the history, though, you're not going to understand what they're talking about because Zechariah doesn't explain what fasting they're doing or what's going on in this fifth month. And so you have to rely on a little bit of um, hist history to figure out what's going on. When the Jews had been taken into captivity by Babylon, they had created a number of feasts in the year that they needed to celebrate. Okay, And these feasts were related to the exile. They were feasts of mourning, feasts of weeping, and feasts of, of I mean, fasting, of all things. You fast for a period, and then you eat for a period. And so uh, these were feasts that they put together to mourn their going into exile. All right, And there's a number of them. On the ninth day of the fourth month, they mourned the breaching of the city's walls. On the 18th day of the fifth month, they fasted for the burning of the city and the temple. On the third day of the seventh month, they remembered the murder of Gedaliah, the governor. And then on the 10th day of the 10th month, they fasted to recall the day that Nebuchadnezzar had set up his siege around the city. So you can see they had set up four sort of special events throughout the year to mourn and to either feast or fast for various events that happened uh, that brought them into exile. And uh, what these people from Bethel were doing is they had come to ask the priests if they should continue to practice 
the day of fasting during the fifth month. And as I just read a moment ago, the, the feast that happened in the fifth month was a, well, it wasn't really a feast, I guess. It was a fasting, and the people fasted for the burning of the city of Jerusalem and for the destruction of the temple when Nebuchadnezzar destroyed it. Now, you'll remember that in Zechariah's day, they were in the process of rebuilding the temple. That was one of the major things happening. Zerubbabel, if you'll remember, was the uh, chief leader who was uh, heading up the project of the rebuilding of the temple. And the temple is very close to complete. You'll notice that at the beginning of this passage, we're told that this is happening in the fourth year of King Darius. And uh, what's interesting is that the night visions happened in the second year of King Darius. So this is two years after the events of chapter 6, which we looked at last week. And the rebuilding of the temple is almost complete. It was finished two years after the fourth year of Darius. So it's finished in the sixth year. All right. So the temple is very close to done. A lot of progress has been made. And the people in Bethel who've been practicing this, this mourning and this fasting, just like the rest of Israel, over the destruction of the temple are now starting to ask, okay, well, wait a second. The temple is almost rebuilt. It's almost finished. We're only a couple years away from its completion. Uh, do we need to keep fasting? Do we need to keep mourning the destruction of the temple when the temple is now about to be rebuilt? Now, you can see this is kind of a, a logical question, kind of a, a legitimate question in a way. They're asking the question, do we need to keep fasting? The consequences of our sin, the destruction, is over now, or at least it's very close to being over. Can we stop mourning and fasting? And this is where we see false religion appearing. All right? On the surface... This doesn't seem like that big of a deal. It doesn't seem like that big of a question. However, as we continue now into the second section, false religion exposed in verse 4, we see that God's response to this question by the people of Bethel is a harsh response, and it exposes false religion among not only them, but among all the people of the land as God commands that his word be spoken to all of them. Listen to what God says in verse 4. And the word of Yahweh of hosts came to me, saying, Speak to all the people of the land. It's not just to Bethel, but to everybody. Speak to all the people of the land and to the priests, saying, When you fasted and mourned in the fifth month and in the seventh month, the two months where they, they were fasting over the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple, when you did this, these 70 years, were you indeed fasting for me, even for me? And when you were eating... And when you were drinking, were you not indeed eating and drinking for yourselves? So notice what God is doing here. He is pointing out to them that their inward condition of their heart, when they were going through the motions of participating in these feasts and in these fasts to remember the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple, is that they had a wrong inward condition. Their heart was not in the right place. Their fasting and mourning was not for the right reasons. Notice God's complaint here. He's saying, when you were fasting, were you doing it for me? When you were eating and drinking, were you doing it for me? No, you were doing it for yourselves. In other words, their fasting and mourning was not directed toward God. It was directed toward themselves. Their religion, 
their religious rituals that they had created were things that they had created for themselves. Or at least, at the very least, they were things that had become something that was only for themselves. And indeed, as you read this, you get the sense that, these, that the, their fasting and mourning was a kind of religious exercise motivated by something like self-pity. The Israelites felt sorry for themselves that they lost the land that God had promised to their fathers. They felt sorry for themselves that they had to go into exile and they had to serve the Babylonians. They felt sorry for themselves that all of this misfortune had happened on them. And what had begun to happen was that their fasting and mourning had become a sort of means to manipulate God to give them back their former blessing. And that is exposed by the fact that these people from Bethel have come and they said, hey, uh, the temple's being rebuilt now. We don't have to be sorry for what happened anymore. You know what this shows? This shows that the Israelites, at least the people of Bethel here, that they were participating in these feasts and in these fasts not because they were sorry over their sin, but rather because they were sorry about the consequences for their sin. They were sorry that they had gone into exile. They were sorry that Jerusalem was destroyed. They were sorry that the temple was destroyed. But they weren't sorry that they had violated the law of God and that they had sinned against him. They weren't sorry about their sin. And that's what this chapter here is directed toward. The people in Israel who are not sorry about their sin, but are rather simply sorry about the consequences for their sin. Amos, uh, the prophet Amos, talks about this in chapter 5, verse 21. He says, I hate, speaking uh, for God, I hate, I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Amos had this problem too. The people were just going through the motions. They were participating of these religious rituals, but they did not have their heart in it. They did not realize the point of these feasts, the point of these fasts. The point is not to wallow around in self-pity over the consequences that God brought upon for sin. No, the point is to be sorrowful before God for the sin that was committed. Now, what a shocker it is that the Israelites would do this, because we certainly don't do this today as 21st century people. Well, yeah, that's, that's a lot of sarcasm right there, isn't it? This is precisely the way that most people treat religion. Many people treat religion as a man-centered set of rituals that tend emotional needs and provide self-meaning. Isn't that right? I, I think that's absolutely right. Many people today treat religion as man-centered. Everything about religion is for my benefit. What can I get out of it? How can I be satisfied? How can my needs be met? And religion becomes a kind of consumerism. And I fear that many Christians treat religion this way too. Why do I go to church? Well, the reason I go to church is because I need something. I need to be fed. I need to be, you know, receiving some kind of experience that gives me motivation for the week. Well, and it's certainly true 
that in religion you find self-meaning, right? And you find purpose and you do get fed when you go to church. I hope you get fed when you come to our church and you hear the teaching and the preaching of the word. You certainly should be coming to church for those reasons. But when we think about why I go to church, the primary reason is not man-centered. The primary reason I go to church is not for something for me. The primary reason that I go to church is to give glory to God. It's because God is worthy of praise, and he is worthy of glory, and he is worthy of all the worship that I offer to him. I come to church for God-centered reasons, not for my self-centered reasons. True religion is not man-centered. It's not a set of rituals to give us the ability to wallow in self-pity or to provide meaning for ourselves, even though it does provide an emotional outlet, and it does provide meaning for ourselves, the primary purpose of, re- of true religion is to direct us toward the glorifying and enjoying of the true and living God. And that's what many of the Israelites clearly have missed. And this is what chapter 7 of Zechariah is directed towards. It is showing that many have been practicing a false religion. Their heart has not been in it. They have not been directed toward God. Rather, they've been directed toward their own self-pity for losing the blessings that God gives. And so there we've got false religion exposed. And thirdly, today we've got false religion rebuked. False religion rebuked in verses 11 through 14. Now this is amazing. In order to rebuke the Israelites in Zechariah's day, What God does is he appeals to the Israelites before Zechariah's day. Particularly, he he appeals to what happened to the disobedient Israelites who practiced false religion that resulted in the Babylonian exile. In verse 11, he starts talking, God starts talking about the fathers, the previous generation. And he says, look at them. They refused to listen and they turned a stubborn shoulder, and they hardened their ears from hearing, and their hearts they made like a diamond so that they couldn't hear the law and the words which Yahweh of hosts sent by his spirit, by the hand of the first prophets. And naturally, God was very angry at this. And so God says, what happened? I cried out to them, and they did not listen. So therefore, when they cried out to me in the exile, I did not listen. A great deal of textual irony right there. And then what does God say in verse 14? What was the result of their disobedience, their hard-heartedness, their diamond-heartedness? Well, it's that God spread them out over the nations. He sent them into exile. And their land, the blessed land, the land of Canaan, flowing with milk and honey, became a land desolate. And though it was prosperous at one point, it became a wasteland because of their hard-heartedness and their refusal to listen to God. That's a harsh rebuke. And God is saying, look, it's only been like 70 years since the initial exile. And you guys are already doing the same things that the previous generation did. What is wrong with you? It's a harsh rebuke. A harsh rebuke. Now, there's a number of things that we learn from chapter 7 here, a number of things we learn from this passage that are crucial. 
And I've already said them, but I want to sort of synthesize and put them together for you here. And that is this. What do we learn? True religion is three things. First of all, true religion is directed toward God and not man. Remember, we talked about this. Religion does provide a lot of things for man, right? For us, it provides salvation. It provides meaning and purpose. It provides us uh, assurance and those sorts of things. So it does have man-related qualities. But religion ultimately is not about man. It's not about us. Religion ultimately is about the glorifying and enjoying of God to all eternity. Secondly, true religion is concerned with sin and not simply punishment for sin. And we've seen that here in this passage, haven't we? True repentance, the true seeking after God is not because we are afraid of consequences and not because we're afraid of punishment, but rather it's because we are actually moved and sorrowful over our sin. And you remember I talked about this in that sermon that I preached on Psalm 6 a few weeks ago. And then thirdly and finally, what else do we learn here? True religion hears the word of God. And we see that in the rebuke. In God's rebuke as he appeals to the previous generation and says, look at these guys, they had diamond hearts. They were so hard-hearted. Diamond hearts. They were so hard-hearted. And look what happened to them. They did not listen to the word of God given by the Spirit, by the hand of the first prophets. Look at that great teaching of the inspiration of Scripture showing up there, that the word of God is sent by the Holy Spirit through the hand of the first prophets. There you've got the inspiration of Scripture by the Holy Spirit as well as the the uh, reality of human authors, namely here, the prophets that Zechariah is referring to. True religion hears the word of God and does not run from it, does not respond with hard-heartedness. It hears the law, it hears the word, and it loves it, and it obeys it. Now, you may have noticed that uh, I skipped a few verses in this passage. I want to jump back up to verse 8 for a second. I don't normally treat passages out of order, but you kind of have to in this passage in order to to structure it the way that I wanted to structure it. You'll notice that verses 8 through 10 I never talked about up until this point, and that's because verses 8 through 10 are sort of um, out of, out of the flow of the rest of the passage. Verses 8 through 10 are a kind of summary of true religion in the midst of this greater passage about false religion. And look at what God says here in verse 8. And the word of Yahweh came to Zechariah, saying, Thus says Yahweh of hosts, saying, Judge with true judgments, and covenant faithfulness, and mercy, compassion. Each man shall show to his neighbor, and the widow, and the orphan, and the sojourner, and the afflicted. You shall not oppress. And the wickedness of man against his brother, you shall not scheme in your hearts. You can see here what's being described. This is true religion. And this basically echoes a passage you may be familiar with from the uh, epistle of James. Chapter 1, verse 27. Listen to what James says. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to to keep oneself unstained from the world. 
James may have even gotten that teaching from Zechariah here because you see the same language, the orphans and the widows and so on. This is true religion. And Zechariah gives us three forms of true religion. He says to, to, get, to judge with true judgments. In other words, justice. Justice. He says we are to practice covenant faithfulness, or what your translation might say, loving kindness or steadfast love. That's the quality of faithfulness, faith. And then he tells us to practice compassion or mercy. And there again, we have another quality, grace and mercy, compassion. And notice what Zechariah is doing here as he's, as he's listing for us all of these things that, that God commands us to do, what essentially is true religion, is he's relaying to us qualities of God. God is just. God is faithful. God is gracious and merciful, merciful and compassionate. So in essence, true religion is godliness. It is imitating the qualities of God. That's true religion. That's what we need to do as people of the true religion. That's what we need to do as Christians who have faith in Jesus Christ and are seeking in this life to be sanctified, to be what? Made holy. Like who? Like God. We're seeking godliness. That's our task as Christians. And so we need from this passage to recognize that it is so easy to get caught up in false religion, to get caught up in going through the rituals, to get caught up in our heart not being in the right place. And Zechariah, and by extension, James, is telling us we need to guard ourselves and make sure that doesn't happen. We need to ensure that our practice of the true religion of Christianity is directed not toward ourselves, but is directed toward God. It is a God-centered religion. We need to make sure that our true religion is concerned with sin and not simply the punishment for sin. And we need to make sure that our true religion hears the heralded word of our almighty God. Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you for Zechariah. We thank you for this, uh, this great teaching that we find in this passage, Lord, as you warn us about false religion, as you warn us about going through the motions, practicing rituals, doing things without the right heart. Lord, convict us where we go through the rituals. Convict us where our hearts are not right and show us the true religion that you want us to practice, a true religion that's not about outward things, but a true religion that is about inward things as we trust in Christ for our salvation, as we seek to be sanctified and made more like you each and every day as we walk this Christian life practicing your true religion. Keep us in the faith, Lord. Sanctify us and help us more and more to die unto sin and to live unto righteousness each day as we serve you and glorify you in this life. We pray in the holy and precious name of Jesus. Amen.